Hey church, welcome to Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Cody Mahaffey and I'm the connections and group pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So our mission here is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help draw you near to the person of Jesus. Be challenged and encouraged by his word and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you really are in him. Morning, Frontline. Anybody else ready for some football? Is it just me? No? All right. I woke up this morning, right? It was rainy. It was a little bit cooler. I was like, we're getting close. I'm getting really excited. My wife even leaned over to me earlier this week and she goes, this is straight up. This is a quote from Shannon. She goes, dude, I'm ready for some football. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. So I married up. I'm pumped. I love watching football. I think my wife actually likes it more than I do. Uh, but somebody in my small group uh, actually told me about this new series on Netflix. I don't know if any of you have seen this new series called Quarterback on Netflix, just so I know who I'm talking to. Uh, really cool series. Uh, tracks with three quarterbacks. I forgot the name of the third one. Sorry to him. His name's Marcus Mariota. He's the third. Um, but the other two quarterbacks are Kirk Cousins with the Minnesota Vikings and then Patrick. Mahomes with uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. It tracks through all three of them the last football season. It was fun to watch. I mean, kind of behind the scenes, you see locker room, you see in their home and the training and, and how they're so dialed in on the smallest of things because even the smallest advantage translates and makes a difference. So it just got me thinking like, man, it's different. We think different. We live different. We act different when we have an end in mind. Isn't that true? Uh, it doesn't matter if it's in sports or if it's in marriage or if it's in work or career, or whatever we think or we live differently differently when we have an end in mind. So I'm a Chicago guy through and through, grew up in Chicago, love Chicago. Uh, I'm a Bears fan. And so I learned some things uh, moving to Michigan, maybe 12 years ago, whatever it was, uh, about Lions, about the Lions, about the Lions fans. And so I might insult some of you right now, uh, but here's what I've learned. You tell me if I'm wrong. You tell me if I'm wrong. Here's what I've learned about the Lions, right? They love to toy with your emotions. Is that accurate? right? Your nervous laughter tells me all I need to know. I've watched from the outside. I'm an unbiased opinion here. And so what I've watched is the lions love to toy with your emotions. They love to think, or they love to get you to think that there is going to be something awesome that takes place. It could be a win. It could be a playoff run. It could be anything that, that has a desirable end uh, with the lions in mind. And isn't it true that right at the last minute, they like to just pull the rug out from under you and take it all away? Is this accurate? Is this, does this describe most of your journey watching the NFL here in Michigan? Yes? No? Okay, so here's what I want to get at. Uh, what I learned watching the Lions, what I've also learned watching this quarterback series, what I learned watching the Lions last season, right to the end of the season, uh, is this. Uh, sometimes the entire game comes down to the last couple seconds, Right? Could be the last couple plays, could be the last two minutes. I mean, even watching these quarterbacks throughout this series, uh, what they said is the last play or the last couple plays could dictate an entire season. It all comes down to the very, very end, which is exactly what we're gonna talk about today. We're in this series right now. It's called Kingdom Culture, and Jesus uses parables. He uses these stories to describe what the kingdom of God is actually like. And so I already told you a little bit of the direction that we're headed. We live differently when we have an end in mind. I want to tell you about the difference that Jesus 
does, or the difference, the different way Jesus lives, the way he teaches, the way he calls people to with the end that he has in mind. So he tells this story. I picture them at the, probably at the lake or at the seaside, whatever it is, because Jesus uses a fishing illustration. And here's what he says. It's Matthew 13, verse 47. He says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in the baskets, but they threw the bad away. Makes sense so far, doesn't it? I was like you. I read this part and I went, this is a pretty straightforward sermon. Seems like it's pretty easy. I think I know the direction that I'm going to go based on these couple, two, three verses, whatever. It's, it's understandable, right? You go fishing, you keep the good ones, you drop the bad ones. Well, here's the way that they would fish uh, in the parable that Jesus uses. If you look at your Bible, there's probably a heading and it's probably labeled the parable of the dragnet. So the dragnet, what's a dragnet? We don't really use dragnets. If you go fishing, you go to the lake, you throw a fishing rod in, you pull something in. This is how they would fish using a dragnet. Uh, it would be a super long net. It would all be connected. It would sink to the bottom. And when the fishermen would pull it in on shore, it would catch everything. It'd catch every fish. It'd catch good fish, bad fish. It'd catch perch and catfish and you name it, all of it. It brings all of it in. Well, this next photo here is more of like a, an accurate modern day use of it. People still use the dragnet today. Different cultures, different people groups all throughout the world use this model of fishing today. So it's not just made up. This is real. It's a way of fishing. Jesus is teaching his disciples and he's saying, this is how the kingdom of God is going to be. So here's where it gets a little confusing. Let's keep reading together. Matthew 13, verse 49. He says, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not even kidding. Jesus goes from fishing to hell. Just like that, he looks at the entire audience and he goes like this. Do you guys understand? And they all go, yep. Do you guys understand? Does it make sense to you? Is it super clear? I, I'm preaching this entire message to the one guy that I think was there present today, and maybe he's here today, that's sitting in the back going, I don't understand how we go from fishing to hell in this five-sentence parable. Is that any of you? Can you relate to that? Can you identify? Otherwise, I'm just going to preach to myself, okay? So I'll preach to myself today. Uh, Jesus goes from fishing to hell. He's describing what the kingdom of God is actually like, and the clues for what the kingdom of God is actually like are in two words that Jesus uses in this parable. I'm going to put them up on the screen for you. The first one is poneros. I'm going to teach you some Greek. I'm not great at it, but you can hang with me. Poneros means wicked, evil, or bad. What do you think of when I use those words? I mean, you don't have to shout them out, but like, when I think wicked, evil, I mean, bad to the core. I, I think about injustices that take place all around the world that honestly, many of us are shielded from. I, I think about a lot of the atrocities that are happening right now in Ukraine and in Russia. It's both, I and mean, we have people here at our church that have visited both of those recently and have experienced some of those firsthand, and it is wicked and it is evil. I think of things that are happening like in Afghanistan or South Sudan, North Korea. There's areas and parts of our world that are being devastated by wickedness and by evil. Here's some other ones. I think about wars that are taking place, what wars do or what people do in the name of war. I think of coups and military takeovers. I think about this movie, Sound of Freedom, that I haven't seen yet, but I'm going to. 
that depicts what human trafficking looks like and child trafficking and sex slavery. I, I mean, if you want to talk wicked and evil, this is, this is the type of thing that I think of. Jesus describes there's two types of fish. There's the paneros, which is the evil and the wicked. And then he uses this other word. It's, it's the only word in Greek that I know that I can remember. It's my favorite one. Uh, it is dikaios. I just like it. It's just fun to say. It means righteous. Dikaiosune is my, my real favorite. It's righteousness. Dikaiosune. Just say dikaios for me. It's just so cool, right? Dikaios. You learn Greek, right? Dikaios means righteous, correct, innocent, or just. The word innocent changes the meaning for me. It doesn't just mean better. Because in comparison to the first one, if you do anything south of an atrocity, it's, it's sometimes hard for us to call that wicked or evil. Jesus depicts this parable. Remember, he's teaching people about the kingdom of God. He's saying this is what the kingdom of God is going to be like. It's like this net, right? You see this drag net right here. It's like they drag it all the way out and they pull it all in. None of those fish knew they were going to get caught that day. It happened in an instant. And the fishermen pull them all up on shore and there begins a sorting process that takes place. Jesus calls that judgment day. That there is a day coming, it is judgment day, where Jesus is going to come back, Jesus is going to return, and the fish, it's not fish, it's people, fish is the metaphor, people will be judged either righteous or paneros, which is wicked, bad, evil. There is no middle ground. Catch that. You are either perfect, righteous, innocent, pure or wicked in the kingdom of God. I'm preaching to the guy in the audience that said, I don't think I understand because I don't think I'm wicked, but I know I'm not innocent. What do I do with that? The clues, like I told you, they're, they're in these words, paneros and then dikaios. Here, here's another use of the word righteous, right, dikaios. It's in Ecclesiastes 7.20, which every person in Jesus' audience listening to this would have known this passage. It, it says this, indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who's dikaios. No one, not even one, who does right and never sins. That same passage is either referenced or copied in Romans 3, Psalms 14, Psalm 53, and a variety of other places. No one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. What Jesus just said to the entire group, to the entire audience of onlookers, and he did it and it's preserved and it's in our Bible today so that we could all hear it in the exact same way. There is nobody that qualifies as righteous in the kingdom of God on their own merit at all. So the guy that raised his hand and the guy that asked the question is really, right, metaphorically, is really asking this, Jesus, did you just tell a parable where all of us end up in hell? Because that's what he's asking. If we have to fall into one category, we are automatically eliminated from the innocent category. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has lied. Every one of us has stolen. Every one of us has done something 
that is considered evil or wicked or sinful in the eyes of God, the demand that God has to spend eternity with him is total perfection. Anything less than that would be classified in the other category as wicked or evil. So Jesus tells this to this group of people, and then he says this, and you want to know what's reserved for the wicked? It's hell. Jesus describes it as a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can I just describe hell for you for a second? So hell, not metaphorically, right? We, we've often played down this word in our culture uh, a variety of different ways. You know, people say, oh man, this last week, it was, very, it was a hell week for me. It was very hellish. Uh, no, it wasn't. We're not talking metaphorically. We're talking the noun, the place, the, the residence labeled hell. So let me describe it. It's a place that will exist for eternity that is full of pain and torment. There is no hope, there is no mercy, and there is no end. If you experience the location of hell, it is permanent, final, and eternal. It is ruled by Satan and his angels, who we refer to as demons. This is an awful, tormenting place. This is why Jesus goes from fishing to hell, because he's trying to get people to understand that judgment day, the end of the age, the end of time is going to come like that. And all of a sudden, like a fish, you're going to be caught in a net and you're going to be sorted. And it's going to be based on, were you righteous or were you unrighteous? Were you Paneros? Were you wicked, dirty, evil, impure, unrighteous, the opposite of righteous? It's one or the other. Jesus tells this to him and he says, do you understand? And what I can't wrap my mind around is why somebody didn't say no. I don't think everybody there understood. Maybe they did. Maybe they did understand, but, but, but have you ever asked this question? If hell is reserved, reserved for the wicked and for the evil people, why, why did God create such a place of torment? Has that ever crossed your mind before? Why would a loving God Right, John 6, 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son that everybody who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Why would that same God create a place that is as awful and tormenting as hell? Here's, if I can answer that question, I'm gonna give you a simplified answer. I think the reason hell is so awful isn't because God wants to punish people for rejecting him. I don't think that's true. I don't think he wants to punish people. I think it's God giving them what they want and allowing it to be permanent. Now, let me explain that. Hell itself is existence without God and all that God brings. Think about that for a second. Hell itself, Jesus describes it as a blazing furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. All throughout Scripture, it describes it as a place of torment and continuously, it never ends, it never stops. We, we have different bodies that don't die but can experience pain, and it happens forever. Why would that place exist? It's for people that say, Jesus, I don't want you. I don't want you. I don't want your protection. I don't want your provision. I don't want your love. I don't want your forgiveness. I don't want your mercy. I don't want you or anything that comes with you. I don't want healing. I don't want restoration. I don't want you. And hell is Jesus going, okay. You can have what you want. This is what I can't wrap my mind around. Who would want that? 
who, who would want that for any amount of time, let alone for eternity? I mean, if, here's why there's weeping, right? Why there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, utter misery and pain is because there is no healer in hell. There is no hope in hell. There's no mercy in hell. There's no love in hell. And all of these things have no end. Hell should scare you if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It, it just should. It's not just the idea. It is the location. It is the description. It is eternal separation from God. There's no redos. There's no second chance. It is for ever. Man, I was sick not that long ago, and it was awful. I mean, it, it was rough and, you know, all the stuff. I won't, I won't describe it for you, but I mean, just full shakes and body and fevers and temperature and head and body aches and all, and, and throwing up and all. And I remember like laying down going, this is awful. And I know it's not even a taste of what hell is. It's not even a taste why would Jesus tell this parable to a group of people? I mean, because here, here's the parable, right? If I can summarize it. Judgment day is going to be on you. It's going to be upon you faster than you think. There's no second chances. There's no redos. Everybody qualifies for it. At the end, there will be a sorting. There's going to be the good and the evil. So you guys good? You got it? Happy? Yeah? And they go, mm-hmm. I don't think so. I'd like to think I'd be the guy there going, I'll take a private explanation, please. Here's what I think happened. I think Jesus tells them this parable. And when he asks them the question, he goes like this. Do you guys get it? Do you understand? Jesus told this parable that created such an awful problem for every single person listening who had compared themselves or their lives or their backgrounds or their sin behavior to the person next to them. He created a problem and he created an issue because what we do as people is we say, I'm better than them and I'm farther along than them and I'm not addicted to that and I don't struggle with this thing over here and I haven't cheated on them over here and I haven't done, but I look at all these other people, I know I'm ahead of them. So if somebody's gonna get hell, it's probably gonna be them and not me. Jesus, as he sets up the parable, he sets this standard, perfection, innocence, holy just anybody that doesn't qualify destruction hell Jesus creates this problem and then he goes do you understand do you do you understand who is telling you this parable Jesus was the first person that they had ever seen just like us who had actually achieved the standard that God had laid out, the standard of perfection, the standard of holiness, the standard of rightness and justness, dikaios in human form. He was the first one and he was pointing to himself as the answer to the problem that the parable created. Romans 3, it says this, if we read it together, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are, say this word with me right here, 
justified. It's the same root again. It's dikaios. Jesus is looking at all of them saying, you're all destined for an eternity separated from me. Every last one of you. This is your path. This is your destination. This is where you will end, right? We play differently when we have an end in mind. We live differently when we have an end in mind. We, we go to school differently when we have an end in mind. We are married differently when we have an end, an end in mind. Jesus is saying, do you want to know the end that I have in mind? It is judgment day. And at the very end of the age, when I come back and I establish my throne and I take back over this world and I restore it to the original condition that I created it in, there is a day coming where the righteous and the unrighteous will be weighed. Which one are you? So let's read that passage holy, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Jesus is the answer to the solution. Or he's the answer to the problem, to the parable in front of everybody. Jesus is going, guys, it's me. It's me. It's all about me. You want to know how you become a righteous fish? Those who can't earn it, who can't fix it, who can't stop it, those who can't undo what they've already done, those who are considered wicked and evil in the sight of God, who is holy and pure and just and right, those who do not qualify to be in his presence have access to be in his presence only through the person of Jesus who willingly came down to this earth, went to the cross, was nailed to it, shed his own blood, and died the death that we deserved so that if we actually have a relationship with him, someday when we die or someday on judgment day or a combination of the two that we'll be able to stand in front of Jesus and we'll say, I'm with you. And he'll look us back in the eye and say, I know because I have a relationship with you. There is nothing a bad fish can do to make it less bad. It's like, there's nothing a dead person can do to make them less dead. Here's Jesus saying, you, you want to know what qualifies you as a righteous fish in this parable? It's a relationship with me. That's it. This parable, just like so many other parables, just like all throughout Scripture, everything points to the person of Jesus. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn right standing with God. There's nothing you can do to earn your place in heaven. There is nothing you can do. We start in a disadvantaged position. We're, we're not just sinful at birth. We are born into an extraordinarily sinful environment that continues to get more and more sinful, more and more wicked as time plays on. We're so disadvantaged, but we chose it. We could have had the perfect situation, the perfect circumstances created. You know how I know that? Because Adam and Eve had it. Everything was perfect. Garden was perfect. World was perfect. There was no sin. There, nothing. And God created the opportunity for a free will relationship. He didn't want a computer. He wanted a relationship with us. And Adam and Eve, given the opportunity, they are representatives of every single one of us. They said, I think I know better than God. 
And I, I think I can disobey God and get away with it. I think I can disobey God without having repercussions. I think I, I know better than God for me. And they move so far down the line that when they finally get busted, they realize I'm over. It's done. The whole Bible, Genesis through Revelation, points us to the person of Jesus. If you walked in today, you, you probably weren't thinking, oh man, I hope he talks about hell. <laughs> or I, ho I hope he's going to talk about death. Or, I hope he's going to talk about judgment day. It, it's a day, if I'm, if I'm really honest with you, I, I've encountered mostly two types of people in this role. Uh, it's those that are infatuated with it obsessed with it, love talking about it, end times and judgment day, those that, that they're so emphatic about it, I kind of go, Wherp. no thanks. And then on the other side, which is a majority, are people that are terrified of it. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to dwell on it. They don't want to process it because it's, it's terrifying. The reason Jesus told this parable is to eliminate that fear. A relationship with Jesus can start instantaneously. It's as instantaneous as the fish being caught. They didn't know they were being caught that day, just like many of us don't know the day or the time or the hour that we're going to die, let alone the day or the time or the hour that Jesus is going to come back. It's this whole realm of time that is unknown, and that's what creates the anxiety in us. But Jesus provides the opportunity for us to get rid of the anxiety, to have a relationship with him today so that if we die today or tomorrow or 10 years from now or 50 years from now or 100 years from now or whatever it may be, that we will die with peace. No, I... I have a relationship with Jesus. I'm fine. I'm good. I, I know him. It's not just I know about him. It's not just I prayed the right prayer. Or I hope my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. No, we have the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus today. Why am I here today? Can I just tell you that? I've told a bunch of you this before. I never wanted this job. Never wanted to be a pastor. I just didn't. I had a thousand other careers I would have rather chased. When I was in college, man, I, I interacted with God for the first time. And it changed my life. Started hearing him speak. Started inviting him into significant things in my life and decisions or areas of brokenness and deep pain and and hurt that I started inviting him into. He started bringing healing to areas that I'd never experienced before. Started speaking to me in ways I'd never heard God speak before. I started seeing him do, do miracles and healing people in ways I'd never seen before. It, it became so much evidence that I couldn't deny that God is alive and he's real and he's active and he's powerful and he wanted a relationship with me. And so when I gave my life to him, when I totally surrendered, I felt like God said, I'm calling you this way. And so I'm here today, right? I'm up on stage. I'm preaching about the gospel of Jesus, the good news that he brings, that there's nothing you can do to change your circumstances, but Jesus already did all of it on your behalf. And he extends you an invitation and it's packaged as a gift. And he says, I want a relationship with you. Do you want one with me? If you don't, I'll, I'll, that's okay. I think it breaks his heart because he knows what that leads to. 
That's why Jesus tells us, do you know what that leads to? I want a relationship with you. I'm extending my hand to you. I want to walk with you. I want to do life with you. It's not just about judgment day. It's about a life and eternity with Jesus. If you live your entire life and you don't want a relationship with Jesus, what do you think heaven's going to be? That's it. It's a relationship with Jesus. A lot of sermons here at Fraulein aren't so pointed and direct, but today, I thought about a lot of you writing this message today. And uh, I shared this first service. Uh, I have a list of like seven questions that I read before I come up on stage just to kind of get my heart ready. And so if you ever see me, I sit right over here and I always pan the audience, usually in the first couple songs. And the question is this, do you really love the people that you're speaking to today? And I did it today. I did it this service. I did it last service. And I, I just look out and it moves me to tears because of how deeply I love all of you. And here's, here's where it really moves me. And here's why I preach this message today. Because I think about my family. I think about my neighbors. I think about my friends. I think about people right here in this church that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And there's no urgency. It's almost like there's no care. There's no concern. Jesus tells this parable and he goes, this is, you have an opportunity. You have an invitation. He looks at the crowd and he says this, do you get it? Do you get it? I wonder if he was just looking for anybody in the crowd to say, I don't get it, but I need to. I need to get it right now, Jesus. I want to get it right now. This whole message, if I can boil it down to one statement for you, I'd boil it down this way. We live our lives differently when Jesus is our end. That's it. This is the whole thing, the whole purpose. Some of you need to reorient your life right now around the person of Jesus. You might have been chasing maybe a career, maybe a dollar value. Maybe you're chasing a, a dream job or a dream house, this American dream mentality. Maybe you're chasing marriage or kids or family. You might be chasing all of these other things. Is Jesus a part of your end game or not? Because if he's not, you need to rework and rechange your entire plan. Man, I've been caught chasing so many stupid things that do not lead me in the direction of Jesus. When th This is what the whole parable is about. It is an invitation that Jesus gives to himself. As we think about death, death is an extraordinarily different experience for someone who has a relationship with Jesus versus someone that does not. Here's a picture of a man that really shaped our culture. He died in May. Uh, his name was Tim Keller, pastor out in New York and just well-known for his sermons, his books. I mean, some of you might have read his books without even realizing it. Uh, books on marriage, books on discipleship, books on preaching and ministry. I mean, it, this man has made a dent in the kingdom of God just through his obedience but, but the reason I share him with you or part of his story with you uh, is not so much his accolades or what he did with his life. It's actually a quote that he shared with his family in the last, uh, I think it was the last day of his life that his family shared online. Here's what he said. I'm going to put the second half of it on the screen. He says, I'm thankful for all the people who have prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful, here's the piece on the screen, I'm thankful for the time that God has given me. 
but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. This is a man that had a cancer diagnosis about two years earlier and struggled through it and did treatment and it was doing better and then doing worse and it was a roller coaster ride like so many of you are so familiar with. And so he and his family, they walk that journey and they can see the day that's approaching. They got the luxury of seeing it approaching without it happening instantaneously. And so he pens these words for all of us to see, for all of us to watch that it's not a man who's full of anxiety and fear and dread over judgment day, over did he do enough or did he not do enough? Was he good? Was he not good? Here's a man full of total peace. You might even say excitement. But he's at the end of the road and he's looking ahead and he's going, I know what's next. It's not a what, it's a who. I get to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. Just send me home. I want that for you. I want it for my kids someday. Man, if I have the luxury, I want it for my grandkids someday. I want a family lineage of people just sold out for Jesus. I want it for my neighbors. I want it for my friends. I want it for this church. I want it for every one of your friends and your neighbors and your kids and your grandkids and your spouses and your parents. I, I want it for our community. I want it for Grand Rapids. I want it for our nation and I want it for our world. The message that Jesus shared in this parable is not a message of doom and gloom and destruction and turn or burn. That's not his heart at all. His message is come to me, Jesus. I am the healer. I am the restorer. Come to me. I'm the forgiver. I'm the one full of mercy. I'm the one that can, that can change everything for you. Jesus gives that invitation to you right now. And so just now we're going to close our time together. So I just want to create an opportunity for you to do that. Because we don't always get another one. I just want to give you an opportunity just to get right with God. If you're already a follower of Jesus, the, the second question is just really easy. It's just what do you need to do to align your life with Jesus right now? Some of you just need to say no to something or turn something off or unsubscribe. Or some of you need to come clean or turn yourselves in. Some of you need, need to do some serious work behind the scenes to go, okay, I, Jesus, I'm, I'm off track, but I'm back with you now. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'd like to just walk you through that process. If you say, you know what, I need that. I want that. I want him. Let me just lead us through that just in a time of prayer. So would you pray with me? So God, we just come before you right now and as I grab this football, Lord, uh, I just think about how different teams play when they got their eyes on the clock and they see just seconds left. Because it creates urgency, God. It creates focus. 
So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just come into this room, come into this space. Maybe it's in the car right now that somebody's listening. Maybe it's in the home. Maybe it's in a small group. Maybe it's in a different part of the country or the world. Wherever it is, God, I pray that you would invade the space right now and that you would call whoever's listening to yourself. I pray that you would open our hearts to be receptive to you, that we would understand we do not qualify to be in your presence. It is only because it's the gift of God that comes through faith so that none of us can boast about it or brag about it or compare about it, but it's only in the gift that comes from you through faith. So right now, God, for those of us that maybe have never given our lives to you before, God, uh, we repent of our sin of the way that we've rejected you, of the way we've sinned against you or against others or against ourselves. We, we repent of our sin, Lord. We turn from it and we lay it down at the feet of Jesus, God. And we, we willingly trade our lives for yours because we know you lived a perfect life because you went to the cross, you were nailed to it. You were hung up there to die a sinner's death because that is where I belonged. Jesus, I know you did that for me. I know you did that for all of us. And then you died. And three days later, you rose again. You defeated death. You conquered the grave. As a display that the kingdom of God is more powerful than any other force of evil in this world. So just as an act of obedience right now, if that's you, if you want to surrender and give your life to the Lord, would you just tell him right now? Just say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I want you, Jesus. God, I just pray that you would meet people in this moment. You'd bring families together. You'd bring marriages together. You'd bring neighborhoods together. I pray, Lord, that you'd start just a movement of people that are just hungry for you, that want nothing but you. Just thank you for the gift of salvation that only comes through Jesus. It's in his name that we pray and we all say together, amen. We hope this message encouraged you to know who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.